I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. I am Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. This time we're going to be discussing The Machine Crusade by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. Yeah. Uh, man, I am excited to talk about this book. <laughs> oh, me too. Let me tell you, I was listening to, I was, uh, I had read the book prior to our last podcast. And so I got caught up in the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. And I kind of suck into, I'm sucked into that right now. And I'm like book five or something like six. I don't know. They all blend together after a while, but I was like, I got to get back to Machine Crusade. So I was spot checking it. I was, I was, I was listening to the beginning this week and then later on and then also the later half of it. I was just getting excited about talking about this book. This yeah. book is, I don't, what did we rate, what did we rate the, um, Butler and Jihad at? I think that you were at a four and I was at a three and Jim gave it two thumbs up. Okay. So, and, <laughs> and, and I think that this book was just a notch above for me. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to our rating at the end of the show, but man, I really like this book. I'm looking forward to discussing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim, how about you? Oh gosh. Yeah. I really loved it. I really tore through it. Um, read, I was reading two and three hours a day, uh, did not want to put it down. Yeah. I, I felt like it was, uh, just a notch above. Now I remember reading it the first time. I didn't feel like it was a notch above, but and Jihad, but, uh, this time around, I was just like, I felt like I remembered so much about Lair and Jihad and so much of this was just kind of like a mesh in my mind that I kind of knew where things were going, but I f- totally forgot how they got there. Yeah. Uh, it was it was really well done. But so just a reminder to our listeners who might uh, not have heard our first episode for the Butler and Jihad, we have a segment called Dune in Ten, and that airs alongside this. You can get that, and it's the summary of the book and the plot of the book in roughly ten minutes. So if you're behind on reading or you haven't read in a long time, that's the place to go to hear. Basically, the summary. We're not going to talk about it on the show. I mean, we'll talk about our favorite parts. But we're not going to sit here and spell out everything. Right. Uh, but that David, does. David's going to be doing a very thorough summary of the book, complete yeah. with annotations later on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of dreading it. The, for some reason, writing the one for the Butlerian Jihad, it was daunting. But then when I sat down to do it, it all just kind of came out. But I've been thinking about doing this one, and I'm just like, where do I start? Like, I know. Everything is so inter- intertwined. It's like I, I have no idea oh how to gosh. separate it out to make it easy to explain. But uh, I wondered the same thing as, you know, how you were going to write this and uh, write the Dune in 10 segment. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have that task. Yeah, well, 
Jim, you and I can just be glad that we're not the ones doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Michelle Lude guide you. No, no. Yeah, you're going this later on. I, I have some ideas in my head, but I have to see if they work when I write it out. So well, let's, why don't we, why don't we talk? Cause we're kind of, maybe we can help you with this a little bit. Let's okay. talk about some of our favorite moments that kind of really stood out to us in, in the book. And, um, Things that just really popped for you and said, wow, this was a great scene. This was a great moment with this character. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about how the characters, we can rabbit trail this any way we want. Yeah. But um, let's start there. And um, would you like to start, David? Sure, sure. Uh, I'll go ahead and start. Well, first off, I just want to say this book is written very differently than the first book. Um, the first book uh, spans a few years, but it's very Wow, what's the word? Segmented or like chronological? It works. It works at a pace that is kept pretty much throughout the book. Like you know, time is moving in a certain certain way. This book starts off twenty some odd years I mean, later. Twenty five years. Yeah, it might be like twenty. Something like that. Yeah, but then you'll be reading for uh, like a couple, you know, twenty five, thirty pages, and all of a sudden it'll be like. Okay, now it's five years later from something that happened in that last section, yeah. or one year later. Or and something. what does the book span? Does it? Does this book? And Jim, maybe you know this too. Uh, does the book span about ten years? Am I correct in that? Uh, yes, I believe that's right. Because because uh, Vorian, you know, has a little uh, liaison with that girl, and the kids are almost ten years old by the end of the novel. Yeah, the twins. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. Yeah, I think it's. Which, by the way, something like that. His, yeah. Is that? His family is the one that is twinned in the Dune novels, right? Am I right about that? Twinned? You, uh, you mean the children of Dune? Yeah, or yeah, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Is that the same house? Uh, the same, yeah, the same Atreides. So because I mean, bloodline because uh, children because twins are like genetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul like, Paul has twins. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I, I was thinking like, oh, there's a connection there. Yeah. So. Um, so anyways, you were saying, yeah, I really liked that. One of the things that kind of annoyed me towards the end is they weren't referencing timestamps of the, like it started off where something would happen and they would be like, okay, it's one year since this thing that happened in that last section. But towards the end of the book, it was like, okay, it's been 10 years since this thing happened a couple things ago. And I was losing track of how much time I'd have to go back and be like, okay, well that was such date and this is that date so it's been this much time since the last chapter well did you is there an appendix in your book there is yeah and the appendix actually lays out the events linear yeah. by timeline so if we really wanted to read that and find out when things happen they, they kind of go back over okay here's what happened and that's i think that's that's kind of needed because yeah. it, it didn't really get muddled for me until the end it, it that's that's where that really hit me there um but so some of the big things that that uh really shook me, uh, I guess, that I really enjoyed. Let me see. Um, I really liked seeing Xavier and Vorian's friendship, like, pretty much at its, like, total peak. Oh, yeah. And, like, they're leading the armies and just kind of, you know, doing their thing. Vor is definitely all over the place where Xavier's kind of a straight edge, but yet they totally have a bond. Um, I really, really liked that. Um, Especially after the tension that was in... Butler and, you know, uh, Jihad. Yeah. I was going to mix the two books, Butler and Crusade. <laughs> Butler and Jihad, you know where that tension is. He's kind of viewed as a traitor and Xavier doesn't trust him. Right. I think I, – I, I just really thought that was great. I just really liked seeing that. My favorite relationship within the book and storyline is the storyline of Norma Senva 
and Aurelius Venport. And, you know, Norma being this, like, stunted, extremely intelligent girl, um, she just kind of is always about her work, and Aurelius kind of realizes, wait, hey, I've been in love with this girl, you know, you know, I don't care that she's not attractive physically. Yeah, or, or short. Or short, yeah. Uh, and just kind of like the way that that develops, and both of them kind of realize their love for each other. Um and then what? She becomes this drop dead blonde. Toilet, yeah. You know, when she reforms herself later yeah. on. Yeah. That, that whole segment of her reforming herself was, was really cool too. Yeah. Uh, just to see that kind of happen. Uh, overall, that, that was my favorite storyline. Okay. So, um, Jim, how about for you? Uh, what was a favorite moment in this, in this book? And I'm asking you to pick one out of all of them. We'll come, we'll, we'll circle around again if we have more. So. Well, I went too well, long, sir. Yeah, that's all right. Well, I, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the relationship between Erasmus and um, Gilbertus was was that just cracked me up. How Erasmus is this—he he does not care about life whatsoever—and then he um, turns in. He he makes this bet with Omnius, and then takes this little boy on, and actually. Uh, shows a more nurturing side of himself. Um, it was almost scary the way that worked out. I, 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 I like the way that happened, uh, without taking away from what Erasmus was really like. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, in your favorite scene in that was, um, Erasmus trying to teach him about sex, right? That was hilarious. Um, <laughs> I wish I could remember the exact words of that exchange, but I mean, it, maybe you might think it's kind of sick, but I was just roaring through that whole thing. How, uh, you know, I could, I could actually imagine myself trying to explain to a young child this whole idea too. <laughs> I, I love how at the end he's like, do you understand? And, uh, uh, Gilbertus is just like, yes, I understand completely. <laughs> yeah. I, and, but, and the, the look on the kid's face that I imagined was like, uh, uh huh. Yeah, sure. I understand. You bet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kind of like, what, it's what, it's like when a parent sits down and says, okay, I want to talk to you about sex and the kid that kind of knows already. That's kind of the yeah. relationship that's going on there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, I want to, this tag a little bit of yours. This wasn't my favorite scene, but I really enjoyed the first time Norma takes spice and she kind of travels back through time and then forward through time and is aware of like the totality of the universe. And I kept thinking of when, um, uh, is it Floyd or is it David in 2001 space odyssey goes into the monolith and like, travels through that, psychedelic thing. That's what it was reminding me of, that whole scene. Yeah. And um kind of just gave our perspective of everything. It wasn't my favorite scene, but it was a scene that I really enjoyed as I went back and re-listened to it. Yeah. So. I had a really similar vision in my mind Yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah. So um uh, let me see. Uh Do you have another, do you have another favorite scene? I liked uh Vori and Atreides going to uh Caladan. And, and meeting, um, oh, what was her name? Uh, Laronica? Was it Laronica? Yes, Laronica. Yeah. And, and finally he's 
you know, he's not aging, but he's still war weary after all these years of jihad. And, and he just wants to stop and settle down. And, um, you, you almost think he's going to do it. And then we have the incident, uh, with Xavier and Iblis and, and he's right back. He has to go right back into the thick of it. But he takes Leronica with him. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was a, uh, that was just a beautiful thing to kind of see develop. And I mean, I was telling, uh, at supper, I was telling David, I said, man, you know, when they introduce that and then they like go away and you're like, no, 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 you just kind of want it to work. And I don't consider (laughs) myself like a romantic or love story thing, but that storyline, I just kind of wanted that for Vorian, um, to see that happen. Yeah. So my, my, uh, my knowledge of the, Later books, I was just like, how, how does this work? Cause you know, the, the Atreides come from Caladan, like that's their home planet. So he has to establish himself there, but it, you know, how's that going to function? Uh, so I thought that was really interesting to kind of right. see him get his foothold there right. with her. Um, you kind of hinted at this, Jim, but I loved all the deaths in this book. Like <laughs> all, all, all the people that are just being knocked off. I mean, I was so sick of Iblis, Iblis Ginja by the time of the, or Ginjo by the time that we, time he's knocked off and the way Xavier does it is just beautiful. Yeah. Let's fly yeah. the ship into the sun. Yeah. And let's expose mm-hmm. you, um, to the one person that can really do damage in this Vorian. And cause I mean, he's the kind of the, the logical leader. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in the next book, but he seems to be set up as like the logical leader, whether mm-hmm. he takes that or not yeah. in the, in the next book. And so I love when you saw him just got whacked. He, he got whacked. And so, yeah, there and, was- and there were so many, I mean, I felt like we had all these characters established in the first book and then we like lost half of them in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was definitely a big purge. <laughs> yeah. Um, any of the other purges that kind of uh, stuck out to you, Jim? Um, yes. Um, Zufa and Aurelius. Uh, oh, yeah. That, well, and, and Takati at the same time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was huge. Um, I, I didn't expect that at all. Yeah. That was um, actually the thing I kept stumbling over was that to, to, to say that that was the point that I really, really enjoyed, uh, yeah. in, in the book. I just, the way that they didn't realize they were with an ally. And, and, you know, cause nobody knew that, uh, Hecate was, uh, Hec- that's what you say. Oh, I, they pronounce it, uh, Hakati. Hakati? Yeah, okay. So, so maybe that's how it's, I, it's an old. That's the way the book pronounced. Yeah. That's the way the audio book. <laughs> uh, uh, Hakati, the way that she, you know, kind of forced her way in without thinking to announce herself to people who didn't know. And yeah. Zufa just unleashes this death blow that kills all three of them. And you think, oh, well, that's the end of their characters. And then the, the, the way the meteor just kind of like crashes in and wipes out this whole great force for the jihad, including, right. uh, mm-hmm. Joel, uh, Norette. Yeah, Joel, Joel Norette. Yeah. You know, um, and what's, and that's kind of a sad mode because Joel Norette is kind of this minor character through this book, but he keeps cropping up. You see him when they take out the one, when they nuke the one Omnius and, and some of the fights and he kind of gains stature as being one of the lead. Uh, fighting men. And then you see him kind of knocked off before he really does anything significant. Um, he except was, that he has taught the robot all his skills, mm-hmm. you know, 
And so I guess it is significant because I'm sure he plays into one of the other books. So he he is uh, he he may have been a minor character, but he was so cool. Oh, he I was. Know. Yeah. I just kept picturing like just give him a lightsaber and see what he can do. You know, like, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm totally there. Uh, um, how about uh, David? Any other deaths that kind of uh, stick out to you? I mean, we do have some others here. Oh, uh, yeah. Who was we, we, we have Salim. Yeah. Salim. Salim died. Yeah. And, and uh, that talk, do you want to talk a little bit about that death a little bit? Yeah, sure. So Salim, Salim, uh, worm rider, he finds out that Na- Naib Dartha is coming with a force. And it's basically the Naib is, has completely betrayed his, uh, upbringing in hiring out off worlders to come and help him take care of Selim. Yeah. The harvest of spice. Yeah. The harvest of spice. And they come and Selim knows he sends everyone away and he just waits for him. And then he just sits there and calls a worm and the worm comes and just kind of eats everybody. Was there, was there three worms at that one? Or am I thinking of a different Uh, part of the book? The three worms was when the shields went off, uh, for this, the ship. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And he, what's her name's husband? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Got Ishmael's it. Ishmael's daughter. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. But it, yeah, that scene was awesome because they kind of face off and then they kind of end together. That yeah. whole r- rivalry, rivalry is, if I can speak here, is sort of ended. So you know, and now I think of it, there might have been three there because the guys put on their shields. The, the, oh, as they're walking was. and the shields attract listeners, you can correct worms. us. Yeah, please yeah, because, do. Uh, maybe Jim, do you know? Yeah, the shields do attract the worms. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, but, but it was uh, was there three at the Salim and Dartha death? I think there was four actually. Let's well, see now. You're just yeah. I can't do math. I'm an English <laughs> teacher here. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have that death that occurs. We have um, uh, the Holtzman. Holtzman gets whacked off. Yeah. Ironically. By his own shield. Yeah. So, <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. One of the things I really enjoyed when I read the original Dune series was that we had reached a point in the f- hypothetical future or wherever where we always think of the future of like lasers and stuff. We reached the point where lasers became a thing, but they became so much of a thing that the anti-laser technology made them obsolete and people were back to daggers and like pistols. Right. And I always found that fascinating. And we see in this part of the story, how it, why that is, you know, if a laser hits a shield, it's basically like a nuke going off. And that's kind of what happens here. There's a slave uprising. The slaves find a laser gun, which is already antiqu- antiquated uh, technology. And they just decide to use it. And Teo Holtzman has one of his shields on Winds up blowing the whole city up. Like yeah, the and that kind of resolves uh, the storyline between Ishmael and his friend, who I can't remember the name for. Uh, you know, he's the guy that comes in there with a laser and just shoots away. And yeah. you see that that look of horror as he comes in and realizes what's going to happen. Uh, Holtzman's horror, and that's it. Yeah. You know, it just blanks it out. Uh, you know, right around that same point is one of my favorite moments of the book, and it's when Ishmael gathers all the slaves, hops into this ship that they have no clue what it does, and they fold space and end up at um uh end up Arrakis. Yeah, thank you. End up at Arrakis. Just lost the name there for a moment. I love that moment because they have just they have no clue and neither does um uh, the guy, the slaver. Uh took Yeah, thank you. Took Kader. And he doesn't he doesn't know what's going on either because they don't 
they aren't really stat this technology hasn't been tested. Right. So and I just loved that mm-hmm. moment. Hey guys, let's not forget the big death in this book, and that would be Serena Butler. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well that's obviously the most important one, right? Tell us about that, Jim. Yes. Well, you know, Iblis Iblis was uh jerk. Uh manipulating yeah, he was that too. But he was manipulating everybody and everything, and he found himself losing power uh to Serena. And he he had to come up with some way to get it back for himself. Uh Serena was taking things away from him. The people didn't see that that was going on. And so he manipulated Serena into going to uh try to make peace with uh, Erasmus and the Cymax. Omnius decided to kill her. And Erasmus said, no, don't do this. We're going to make her a martyr. And then her own bodyguard broke her neck. Uh, I mean, and, and martyred her anyway. So, uh, the story, of course, the real story never got out, but the story is out now that, uh, Erasmus and Omnius have killed Serena. And it just kind of gave new life to the jihad because people were starting to get tired of it. Well, I mean, 25 years of fighting, you can kind of just imagine that. I mean, when war goes on long, we, 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 I mean, we, we're always at war, it seems like here in the, here in the United States. For those of you that are from here, you know, it's, we're always at war and it seems to be endless sometimes and we get sick of it, you know, and so you can just imagine like a jihad where people are like fighting this holy war that seems endless with no return and, you know, you kind of get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and when they follow that up, I mean, it is really ingenious, uh, Iblis's part. Um, because whether or not Omnius kills her, he's kind of ensured that she, that she will be viewed as a martyr. And then the footage that they show is absolutely disturbing. Oh, yeah. 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 Grotesque mm-hmm. and disturbing. Um, yes. That just, uh, kind of sells it to the people. Um, and the people kind of need to see that, whether or not it's authentic, which you find out later that it's not. It's kind of fabricated. But. Yeah. Right. Well, one of the thing, important things to remember here is that even though one of her seraphim killed her, when she was tr- she was trying to get Omnius to, to kill her, and and Erasmus stopped him because he fell right. for it. Yeah, he has Erasmus has this epiphany like, oh no, we can't do that. Yeah. We'll make her a martyr. He finally starts to kind of understand religion in a, in a weird way or, or fanaticism. And uh, the moment when her seraphim goes to kill her, Serena realizes that uh, what's happening, but she's completely okay with it. Like she's not upset. Well, she kind of has a smile on her face. It says when she's dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She knows what's, what's, what's about to happen. And I think that's kind of like, you know, Vorian and Xavier both are like, oh, Iblis sent her to her death and it, it's Iblis's fault. And yeah, he, I put the thought in her mind, but in the end, like, I think that she would have chosen to go there regardless of his persuasion or not. Yeah. Whoever would have brought it up. She cared about the jihad that much. It's kind of a way to justify, uh, in a sense, a, uh, a holy suicide in a sense, you know, kind yeah. of, you know, um, to be with Mannion and, and yeah. just like kind of connect in that way. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, and all that, of course, leads into, uh, Xavier, uh, 
who sees through Iblis, he knows what Iblis is. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, one of these, the ends justify the means kind of people. And Xavier knowing that Iblis is going to go back and be in charge of this and probably just keep it going in perpetuity uh, decides, that's it. Iblis is going down, even if I have to go down with him. You know, he's he's kind of suspicious about, you know, Iblis, you know, for for a while. And um, we, of course, right immediately after they show the video of, of, of Serena, they they head off to the slaver planet, right, um, where they harvest the bodies. And he's kind of presented this 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 face of what they're supposed to be growing organs. And we find out the horrific truth. Um, and this there, there were some descriptions of some of the scenes in there that I almost couldn't get through. When they're describing the people that are patched in with their bodies and missing. And then you find out that they've been, they've been, you know, hitting allied worlds and, and kind of harvesting body parts from them. And, and this kind of turned your stomach. And then you realize, uh, you know, this is kind of the final straw for, uh, um, for Xavier. Yeah. Xavier in it. So, yeah. I, this is, this is one of the parts where one of the things that I didn't like very, very much when I read this originally, because one of the huge mysteries, uh, that kept me reading the original six books was, are, can you trust the Telexla? And like, uh, what are they up to? What's going on? And although that total, that isn't given away here, as to what the big thing is later, it is established that you can't trust them. Like for sure in in this scene. And I didn't like that because I was like, well, now if I was reading these, I would always be like, well, you can't trust them because remember how they were kidnapping humans and, and selling their body parts, you know? Uh, But that's the only origin thing that kind of bothers me in all of these. I really enjoyed seeing, you know, uh, uh, Gilbertus, or, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gilbertus being kind of like becoming the first Mentat. Uh, we have the Spacing Build Guild kind of coming around. Now, you're going to have to excuse my ignorance because I haven't read the other book. Mentat being what? A Mentat is a human c- computer. It's someone who's conditioned for their mind to think like a computer and do super mm-hmm. equations, which we kind of okay. saw Erasmus t- teaching him how to compartmentalize things and figure mm-hmm. things that's out. True, that's true. Yeah. Because in the far future of the regular Dune books, they're so, they so hate machines that they don't like use calculators or anything. And it's all, they have Mentats and the Mentats, uh, are super powerful bit computing minds that just think oh, okay. and okay. like do all the number stuff. Yeah. So, uh, no, are they still in bodies or are they in canisters? Still in bodies. Okay. There's no, there's Can- no, um, cogitors right, right. in the, in that yeah. story. So we mm-hmm. see that you kind of see the spacing guild. Uh, we've seen a little bit of the sisterhood coming around. Um, yeah. I don't need, I can't even remember what else, but like you just see uh, just the sword masters. Yeah. You see tons of things coming to fruition. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the Fremen right there at the very end where oh, yeah. Ishmael, Ishmael declares, we are free men. Yeah, I love that. That was a great tie-in. You know, one of my Mm -hmm. favorite parts with Ishmael is when he, you know, after they've arrived on Arrakis and after they've been kind of integrated into the, um, you know, Salim's tribe and, uh, and 
there's one part where they raid this, these people return from a raiding, uh, you know, task that all 13, you know, worms come back and, and these, and these, and what they brought back is this really pure, refined spice. And then they have this huge spice party, right? And that they kind of, you know, get high on spice and they kind of have these visions. Well, in the <laughs> middle of his, in the middle of his vision, he gets a real ominous feeling and he begins to follow it. And it takes him to, of course, Salim's son, who's being attacked by scorpion. And it, scorpions, and he kind of sacrifices himself and gets stung by the scorpions and thus saving the son. And he ends up living through it, which is something he was not supposed to do. And it kind of, sets him up. It's one of the pivotal points that kind of sets him up as being the next leader of this tribe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really liked that scene when I went back and re-listened to it. Now, I, I, I just previously mentioned something I didn't like about this book. I'm curious to hear from both of you. What is something that you didn't like about this book? Um, Jim, do you want to go or should I go? Well, that, that's, it's kind of a tough one. Uh, go ahead, Scott. Give me a minute. To think. Okay. Um, let me tell you what what I didn't like about this book was not the storylines. I I really enjoyed all the storylines in this book. Um, I love this. I love the Surat storyline. We didn't even talk about Surat oh, and yeah. the fact that they, he hauls around and affected Omnias for a while and then gets caught. You know, and then later on is caught again. Poor, you know, poor Serrat, he's always getting caught by people. And I love the whole confrontation with Vorian that he kind of free, that they come together and he's going to attack him, then steps back. And you can see there's a little bit of that friendship there. And it'll be interesting to see what they, what happens with him later on. Um, but as far as negative things, I, I, I just don't sit well when we get the real grotesque, grotesque descriptions of some of the, uh, like, um, uh, whose son is it that gets, uh, caught right at the beginning by the Cymax and they torture him and they probe his brain and rip things out? I mean, the description of that is just god awfully vivid. And I just kind of want to hurl when I'm reading these books, uh, when we get description like that. And you see that a couple different places and they make the book, but I you're kind of in it, you know, it's coming like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to listen to this. <laughs> so, but so for me, it's not necessarily a moment, but it's just a, a, a an experience that happens in the book. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad, but uh, Jim, how about you? Do you have a certain ex- uh, moment that you just were like, eh, about? Yeah. Be- before you, before you said that, Scott, I, the, some of the graphic scenes and descriptions, uh, disturbing. I understand why they need to be that way. It is, it's necessary to do that so that we as the audience, uh, understand and, and join in to hate the machine, uh, rule. But yeah, the, those scenes were very disturbing. I believe in Butlerian Jihad, wasn't there also a scene where there were twin girls? Oh yeah. Oh. That, that, yeah. I mean the that that kind of thing and especially when it's dealing with kids and I'm sure Scott can sure understand this as a teacher that it just does not sit well. well that's yeah and that, and they have that scene in the Butler Jihad where the kid falls in the cliff. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm, uh, yeah. So anyways, you were saying Jim. Yeah, it uh, it's that's just kind of disturbing to me. I can, I can get through it. Uh, you know, I've got the stomach for it, but, uh, if, if there is a least favorite part, that would have to be it. Yeah. I, you know, there aren't, there aren't very many, 
Uh, and again, because I'm unfamiliar with the series, it's been a long time since I've read the original series, so I don't have a lot of connections to it. And so for me, when I hit the plot points, I didn't feel, I didn't feel that the, there were any plot points and any storylines I didn't like. Um, at times in the past, Azufa Semba, uh, has bothered me because I think she's just a bit too much of a press. Um, mm-hmm. as she carries herself off, but she kind of redeems herself. Like her and Aurelius Venport there right before she releases her psychic energy, they're kind of holding hands and they kind of understand it has to be this way in their mind. And they kind of, for a brief moment, have reconciled. Um, and they've seemed to be working toward a reconciliation after the tearing apart of the relationship in the first book. <laughs> and so that's actually kind of a neat thing, but she, her storyline at times have, has bothered me. But only because I didn't like her as a character. Yeah. Well, you know, and and I think that's a theme that comes with the Benny Gesserit. They are they they think they're better than everybody else. If you recall uh from a long time ago, of course, reading about how Paul was tested by Helen. Okay. Uh she knew everything and she had the nerve to call the Duke's son an animal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Zufa had to in in order to follow through with that Benny Gesserit thing, she had to see herself as being a cut above of everybody else. Yeah. Well, are there any other great moments that we're, we're missing? We covered a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we did cover a lot. But is there anything that we're missing that's kind of central for us? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, when we were talking here, uh, and you guys brought up, uh, some of the stuff with Erasmus and stuff, I remembered one or two, two kind of pivotal things out of that, uh, with him. One, you kind of get the sense that he's not totally understanding humans, but between him and Surratt, you kind of get the feeling that if Omnius wasn't there and they didn't have ultimate power, that machines could potentially live in harmony with humans if they weren't like, lording over them the other thing to note is that the seed has been planted in erasmus to be in control rather than om- having omnis in control from that from uh bella to was it or whatever yes he had to he realized i'd never thought of being in control but in this moment i have to be and i have like i have to repair omnis and and that one of the things that he says in that section that really stuck out to me is he said am i alive Yes. Is Omnius alive? No. Right. Well, you know, in yeah. that, in that same well, part, the way they, I think the Cymex, when they're like disrupting all the, uh, carrier ships that carry the, uh, the update ships, they, they disrupt them all and how they're desynchronizing all the worlds. And I think that's a, um, kind of a good foreshadowing of that. Yeah. And plus, well, go, go ahead, Jim. Yeah. And, and well, as far as the machines are concerned, um, there, I think the, the element of emotion for the machines is missing. Okay. So they can study humans. They can learn the behavior. They can learn, uh, okay, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, but they're never going to understand humans because they don't have the emotion. They don't have the compassion. Uh, all they're thinking is ones and zeros on and off, you know, uh, dead or alive. Um, so I think machines have a real tough time making that extra reach, which is what makes them so dangerous. You know, just, um, 
back to Erasmus, he, he's, you know, he learns how to lie. Yeah. In this one, which is like a, a first. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it mm-hmm. because he learned it from human behavior, but just to kind of save himself. Yeah. And thinking down mm-hmm. the road that he's going to have to do something about this Omnius. He's yeah. going to have to protect himself from Omnius. But, mm-hmm. um, any other parts we're uh, kind of uh, missing here? I think we I think we hit most of the major ones. And uh, listeners, we would love to hear your thoughts and some of your favorite moments. We're going to hear from some of them a little bit later on, but we'd love to hear some of your favorite moments as well. So please call in at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, or just email us at the Dune Saga Podcast at gmail.com and we would love to hear some of your thoughts in there as well. Um, well, uh, Jim, uh, take us into the quotes. Yeah, we're gonna going to take a look at some of our favorite quotes. One of my favorite quotes in the book was um, comes from Ishmael, uh, his grandfather. And Ishmael wanted to go and try to gain the freedom by explaining, um, explaining their plight and things like that. And he was trying to explain to um, Oh, what's the guy's name that blew up the? Uh, is that Mister Blood? Uh, I, yeah, I, I, was, his his friend. You mean? Yes, uh, I live. Oh yeah, 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 Alib. yeah. Or Alid. Yeah. And and the quote is: uh, If you are unwilling to speak of your concern to the person who has wronged you, do not complain when he fails to resolve the situation of his own accord. So, in other words. Uh, as far as Ishmael's concerned, if he doesn't go to blood and, and explain the problem to him to get an answer, then you can't complain about being a slave. You might as well continue to be one. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I, li- I like that quote too. Well, I, so I, had, I had, um, two here. One, one's pretty short and then the other one was the real big one. The, the short one was when, uh, <clears throat> When an observer truly believes illusion, it becomes reality. And uh, Zahn Noret said that, and I just thought, man, that's kind of a weird thing to think. Like, what what is reality? You know, when mm-hmm. when you believe what you see, whatever you believe, what you see. So the big one for me was uh, the only guarantee is li- in life is death, and the only guarantee in death is its shocking unpredictability. And that was an old earth saying in the book. I thought that was really, uh, like a cool thing to, very true. Yeah, yeah really cool yeah. thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, the quote that I picked out, I actually have, uh, two are kind of related and then I have a third one that's not. And I just kind of, uh, I'm going to give the two because they kind of work. The first one's from Kajar Quina and he says, thoughts become weapons. Philosophies are distinct reasons for war. Good intentions are the most destructive arsenal of all. You know, what's that saying that we have? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> so, and there's another one that's a Zinsuni lament that says, "Good intentions could bring about as much destruction as an evil conqueror." Either way, the result is the same. And so, I thought that those two quotes kind of tie together and and work. And then my other favorite quote is one by Erasmus, and this ties into what we were talking about just a moment ago. And he says, "Human beings can always improve themselves." This is a one advantage you have over thinking machines until I find a way to mimic all of their senses and sensibilities. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, yep. there's a little bit of a hint of a warning. Just wait. I'm getting there. You see that. You see some of that in, in the way, he, in the way he cares 
for what is it, Gilbertus? Yeah. And the way he, um, and the way he lies and the end, you see him kind of be, and the way in him realizing religion, he may not believe it or adhere to it, but his understanding right. is there. Right. Yeah. Um, Any other quotes for you, Jim? Uh, no, not at this time. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's, there's just a, there's a ton of quotes in here. I don't, I, I don't think there's any that, Really stand out. But. One of the things that goes along with what Jim said is when Alid and Ishmael have their final, like, confrontation. And Alid, uh, says, you know, he kind of pulls a knife on Ishmael and he's, and he says, you know, go, you are no longer my friend. Right. But you're no longer my enemy. You are nothing to me. Like, as he turns around, it was just like, that's like, oh, it burns. Cause I thought you're no longer my friend. So you're my enemy. But he was like, no, you're nothing to me. Like, I don't care about you at all. That was, that was yeah. pretty harsh. I do have another quote by quote, if I can quote another quote by, uh, Kajan Requina. He says this, unfortunately, some wars are won by the side that is the most fanatical in the religious sense. The victorious leaders harness holy energy of collective insanity. And I felt that it was one of the themes that really ran through this book, um, that the war that they're fighting against the, the thingy machines is not a logical war. It's very much a religious, a religious fanatical war that's not harnessed by, um, rationality, but by emotion. And I thought of that when, uh, Vorian goes and approaches the, is it the Cogitors, the collection that was, that sent, Celine, uh, uh, Serena to, uh, Omnius to meet with her in the end. And then obviously to get the word back and it confuses them a little bit. Um, and they're the ones saying, well, this is an irrational outcome. And he makes a statement. Well, this isn't a rational war or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing it extensively, <laughs> but, but I think that that just kind of sticks out that this is, we, we had the Butler and Jihad at the very big first book. And this is continued here in this book. And it continues to be things are not happening because of logic is happening because of greed of avarice. And it's, and it's also happening because of a fight, uh, the sense of a right of not necessarily because it makes sense to fight. Right. And so, and I think that in a sense, he, he says that the contradictors are kind of insane. Yeah. And, and I agree that, you know, all that time alone, they don't remember what it's like to be human. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, where else are we at now? Well, why don't we launch ourselves into a section that I have enjoyed taking up? Uh, <laughs> and this is bad reviews. <laughs> so you're going to hear, you know, us pretty much singing praise for probably almost all the books because we're going to probably enjoy most of them. Yeah, because we, we, underst- we, I mean, we understand that if you are a purist and you're like a Frank Herbert only man, then we understand that you will not enjoy the first books. But right. we, uh, the stories are good. They're entertaining me. And I'm not that huge of a critic of this. But again, maybe I'm a little bit more distant. <laughs> yeah. They grew up. I mean, I guess I grew up and they were coming out, but I didn't read them initially that way. But, yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I find it interesting. So I, I, what, I, what I'm doing is just grabbing some, some Goodreads comments. All right. Know? So Goodreads is a great place to leave comments on books. And uh, we got some here. So a gentleman by the name of DeFore says, this makes me want to 
grub my brain with Brillo, with a Brillo pad to get it out. Having established that Herbert and Anderson are just plot vomiting things out by now, instead of telling good story, the volume of the Butlerian Jihad trilogy features all your favorite hints of amateur writing. We have random skips through time, checking in on characters whenever the authors get too lazy to finish their stories. We have random, random character deaths after pointless circumstances in which you've invested significant counts. Uh, did you see these guys or did these guys get p- paid page by page? Cause they must have. We have the melodramatic dumbassness that originates the Atreides Harkonnen fr- feud. Am I missing anything? Oh yeah. We also have the blatant attempts at seeding backstory for the next trilogy. These two assholes are gonna, are gonna write. Do, do thyself a favor and just stop with this shit. Do not want. He gave it one star. Um, <clears throat> Jim, any thoughts? Well, I have to, uh, question the, uh, intelligence of the person who wrote this. I mean, do you really need that language to express something intelligently? Yeah. Yeah. For one thing. And, and here, here's a question I want, I want to ask. If, if any of our listeners out there are detractors and don't like the Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson books, why do you buy them? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. If you read one and it's no good and then you read a second one and you don't like that, why are you reading a third and a fourth one? Well, you know what my suspicion is, is that while they, they're holding him up to the level of Frank Herbert and they're not beating that level, they are hungry for more of the Dune universe, at, at least a subconscious level. So they're out there buying, yeah. out there buying the books and getting into it. And even, I mean, I, you know, I kind of disagree with him on the, on, on probably about just everything he said, because I think that the deaths do play an important part. Uh, and setting up some things and uh, pushing characters out in different directions that we're just going to see in the next book. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I haven't read the next book because I, I, I could be totally wrong, but, um, and he says, he says pointless circumstances, you know, come on. I, I could not find anything in this book that was pointless. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't feel had- like I was left hanging anywhere. The only no, time that I felt like a story ended abruptly was Joel Norat. It was the only one that I was kind of like, boom, yeah, Tidal Wave just killed him. <laughs> yeah, and, and and there was continuity. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, everything the gentleman says here, or, or if it's a gentleman or a lady, uh, you know, I can't agree. Yep. So uh, moving on, uh, a, a writer by the name of Tien says, I just couldn't do it. I enjoyed the Butlerian Jihad so naturally, I wanted to read the sequel. I got about one-sixth of my way through the book before I just couldn't read another page. I kept thinking to myself, maybe it'll get better. Just one more chapter. And the more I read, I realized I discovered the perfect replacement for sleeping pills. This book was so dry and dull and flat, with too much over-characterization and excessive expedition. I didn't know science fiction could be so dull it would make me want to dig a hole through my forehead. Now that I've discovered this, however, I think I'll skip the rest of these prequels and just read the original books. One star. Yeah, I don't, you know, okay, so a, a little bit on the overcharacterization. One thing that I say, I think really annoys me about that this book, I mean, I felt it in the first one, but 
it was really bugging me in this book is that every time, especially the cogitors show up, there's one or two sentences about what they are. Like you'd completely forgot that they're a brain in a canister and they used to be human and that they, that they went away to, sometimes it makes sense because the rest of the paragraph kind of like draws from that. But other times it's like, yeah, I get it. This is the second book. I understand what these, who these people are. Like you don't need to remind me that, uh, Vorian is a, uh, Agamemnon's son. Like every time he comes on screen. You know, I, I, I hear you in that because one of the things, and I did think about that as I was re-listening to the book that, Oh, they're reestablishing who these characters are. And the only thought that I had is it's quite possible that some people will pick up this book not having read Butler and Jihad. Yeah. And if that's the case, then what they're doing is establishing a premise for those readers. But I'm looking at it that when I read a series, I don't jump into the middle of the series. I start the first book and work my way through typically. Yeah. And then in that case, it seems a bit redundant. But for those, if they're trying to get newer, newer, uh, readers in, and not to be lost, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, when you get to be my age, you kind of appreciate those reminders. <laughs> oh my, you're not that old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree, but that doesn't bother me it, uh, it, for it, some reason. It didn't bother me at the beginning of the book, but at the end of the book, and I think maybe because as I told, Scott, I was kind of cramming in the end to make the deadline for, for tonight. Right. So I think I was reading just a lot and it just kind of like, it kept coming up and I was like, I yeah, want to well, move yeah. faster. So why don't you tell our listeners, when did you finish this book? <laughs> <laughs> About 4.20 a.m. last night. You mean this morning? This morning? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I found myself about 300 pages short and I was like, man, why did I hang out with people last week? <laughs> I knew this deadline was coming and every time something came up, I was like, yeah. I'll get, I'll read my daily quota tomorrow. It'll be fine. And I just kept rolling over and rolling over until the night before. I was like, oof. So needless to say, David is running on caffeine and yeah. fumes. So, yep. And some coffee like, here. Yeah. You need some more there when you're yeah. at coffee break here. Um, I, I just couldn't get over how this, this person who reviewed it said, that they liked Butlerian Jihad better than this one. Um, yeah, I, I I would take issue. I enjoyed Butlerian Jihad, but this book again was just a notch above. Yeah, and a, a lot of it was we had better character development, I think, with uh, with Vor and Xavier and Serena. I think also that uh, I felt more comfortable with those characters because they were introduced to me in Butlerian Jihad. And in this book, I knew who they were. And it kind of, it brought them a little more to life for me in this book. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, we, we, maybe we're dogging the Butlerian Jihad, but one of the things we do have at the very beginning is we're, we do, everything's introduced in that book. And I think that's one of the things that slows that book down a little bit. Mm -hmm. We don't have to do that in book two because everything's been established that we can spend more time. This is like the Empire Strikes Back of the original mm -hmm. Star Wars trilogy, right? Yeah. I mean, I, hopefully mm -hmm. the third book is just as good. I'm just saying that. I can relate a little bit. The first time I read it, you know, I was so hungry for more and I wanted so much. And the Butler and Jihad was exposing me to this new world. And that had like a special place to me. But then by the time I got to the second book, I was just like not wanting to get to the end, but I just wanted to absorb the information quickly. Here mm -hmm. on my second read through, I realize it is a much stronger, like enjoyable book. Yeah. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I, I've got another review here from Rosie Mellinger. She says, if you liked but- the Butlerian Jihad, you'll like this one. However, if you were hoping that Brian Herbert's writing style matured with this book, your hopes are in vain. Herbert demonstrates that good writing is learned, not inherited. This good book, this book could be about half the size if he would clean up his writing style, leave a little to the imagination, and not give a brief history of the character every time they appear in the book, as if we had a short-term memory problem. His characters are shallow, and he doesn't follow through on deeper themes that are touched on. Two stars. Well, we already discussed part of what he said. Yeah, uh, she said, I guess. But um, I don't think I, I, I don't know. I thought his. I thought that his writing. When we were just, we just got talking about how we yeah. liked the way that the story played out, and that it felt a little bit more. If you want to talk about maturity? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I I disagree with the second half of that. I, although I do think that I wouldn't say half the book, but you could definitely cut it down if you weren't constantly repeating that. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. Again, this seems like someone who is wanting Frank Herbert, wanting Brian Herbert to write like Frank Herbert. And, and I think, I think that's unreasonable. That would be, that would be like asking, uh, me to write like Stephen King. It ain't gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. But it might, so you should try. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do or do not. There is no try. Anyways, um, anything else regarding the, uh, uh, reviews, David? I don't think so. Let's go okay. ahead and move on to listener feedback. All right, all right. We got some great listener feedback from you folks listening and tuning into us, and so we we appreciate that. And again, if you want to leave feedback on this episode, either talking about uh, you can talk about past episodes or the current book that we're going to be on. We'll give you that information. What book we're heading into next here at the end of the episode. But you can always call in at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three. Our email is at the Dude Saga Podcast at gmail dot com. As did Ron. Smolak, as Smolak, Smelik, Smelik. Oh, do you know this guy? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so, okay, good. Because yeah. uh, totally, I'm sorry. Sorry, I mispronounced your name. He <laughs> said, "Greetings. I'm excited to support your new endeavor and look forward to the conversation." I have never read an entire book of the from the Dune Saga. I remember picking up the first book after seeing the movie and getting about halfway through it before I lost interest. For many years, one of my best friends has told me about his favorite series, Dune. Hmm. Who could that best friend be? It's not me, but I have talked to him about it. <laughs> uh, dude, uh, but the more books that come out, the less I want to get started. So maybe now is the time. Uh, first, I'm deathly afraid of looking at these books out of their publication order. But since I'm skeptical about reading them, I'm at your mercy. Maybe once you'll catch up to the first book of Dune, I'll start. No promises. Second, I like the 10-minute summary ideas before listening to your discussion. And third, as soon as you mentioned Earth in your summary, I had a small twinge of fear. Don't tell me Dune is actually Earth in a post-apocalyptic future. And fourth, okay, I think Dune, Arrakis, so Earth is safe. And not spoiler, but I have to wonder why they chose to make it linked with our world instead of in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit uh, last episode, too. Yeah. Um, and we can jump back to these points. Let me finish his, uh, his mail here. He says, Fifth, even though I haven't read Dune, I have a little understanding from the various races, classes from an older video game. I'm wondering if this book has too many origin stories all occurring in close chronological proximity. And sixth, I wonder if not having read the book, first book, I'm not appreciating the content of this book. The story already seems super complex and a bit weird. Brains in jars? Seriously? So... That's very raw feedback. Now, listen to episode one. 
So thank you uh, so much for uh, kind of calling in there and giving us your thoughts, Ron. Let's take some of his points and respond to them. Jim, did any of these kind of jump out to you as we were talking about them? Ah, yeah. The uh, It says uh, the story already seems super complex and a bit weird. Okay, yeah, super complex. It really, it, it is. Okay, um, you're, you're moving back and forth with a whole lot of different scenes. You, um, I, I have to agree with that point for sure. Um, to the point where I actually found myself reading, uh, a chapter, writing some notes down so I could remember what it was about. Um, I didn't really get time to do what I actually wanted to do, and that was collate the uh, storylines. But yeah, it's definitely a complex story. Well, now, he kind of, uh, and Jim, let me ask you, um, he says it feels like there's too many origin stories happening at one time. Do you get the sense as you read it that, that we're tackled, that there's just too many storylines happening in these books? I don't think there are too many. Um I think uh I think without without a, a understanding of of the universe that I have at the level that I have and I'm sure David at his level has uh I think you would have a I think it would be a tough tough time getting into it you'd have to slow down and read it. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Uh David, how about for you anything that he said that kind of stuck out to you? Well, the the origin thing is something I totally related to reading it the first time coming back, and I think I spoke of this a little bit earlier. You know, I, I was having trouble with that, but now knowing that they're writing the Schools of Dune series, which includes the Sisterhood of Dune, Mentats of Dune, and I believe the Sookas of Dune or Doctors of Dune or whatever, um, you see the very, very basic beginning of that, but you're not going to get all the backstory of that group in these books. You're just getting like the very seeds that kind of started from that. And I think that it helps paint a picture of society and how one major huge conflict can span so many things that last for, you know, millennia. Mm. Yeah. So. Or that have huge impact, you know, thousands of years into the future. Right. And they're not yeah. the same thing they were at the beginning, but yeah, a version of them exists yeah. later on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. very cool. Well, thanks again for writing in, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts on episode two and some of what we talk about. Um, well, Roland Smoker also wrote in, and this is what uh, – and he actually takes us back to Butler and Jihad, and um, I think they uh, – and then he also talks about Machine Crusade. So I think what I'm going to do is we'll take the first book he talks about and break and then kind of give some feedback on it, and then we'll do the second book. Is okay. That okay? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so Butler and Jihad. I want to thank you guys at the Dune, and again, this is from Roland Smoker. I want to thank you guys at the Dune Saga Podcast for allowing me to feel like I'm participating in a book club without putting in all the work, like being somewhere with people and finishing the book on time. As you know, I really enjoyed this book. Uh, Maybe it's because I haven't read Frank Herbert in 10 years. That's my uh, thought as well. And I didn't really recall his writing style or how deep his novels were. As a fan of science fiction, I found this book very good. I gave it, listen to this, five out of five in Goodreads. I imagine most of the books of Dune Universe will get a five out of five for me. Part of the reason I probably enjoyed this book so much is because I love learning about secondary worlds. 
I wasn't looking for anything extremely deep or thought-provoking. I was simply interested in the events that happened in this universe. In addition to that, I found the writing style easy to follow, and I did not find myself bored very much, if at all. All these things add up to what I look for in a sci-fi book. I'm not hard to please. I was with you on the whole mentioning Earth thing. I like the mystery of not knowing how Dune related to us in our current time. Now I just hope they don't mention a specific time in the future these events take place. Um, so let's start with you, David. Anything that he said in Butler and Jihad that kind of st- stuck out to you? Uh, well, I mean, he hit on some things that we talked about last episode about Earth and stuff, and, and you know, I think that's already been expressed. Uh, my thing is, is I know that they don't mention any exact history of where this is in our future. And that you start to see it in the Machine Crusade as they refer to it uh, as um, was it is it BC or BS which or BG sorry BG which is before Guild and after and then they have an AG which is after Guild and that's basically like when the Spacing Guild uh, is established and that changes right. society completely. Yeah. So that's kind of how they base time in the books from that um, from here on out. You don't really know how far back we are from. What is going on? So, yeah. um, uh, Jim, how about for you, Roland? I, I I have to tell you, I I agree with you. I feel the same way as what you said. I found the writing style easy to follow. Did not find myself bored very much, if at all. And all these things add up to what I look for in a sci-fi book. I'm not hard to please. And and you and I are brothers, right there. Um, I I have to agree with that. Uh, very easy book to to follow uh if you take the time to do it you know um and and I'm not that picky uh if it entertains me if it holds my attention I'm with it he continues to write and uh write in about the machine crusade and this is his halfway report all right um I actually like the butler and jihad better than what I've read so far in machine crusade will be interesting to hear your thoughts when you finish it. Uh, I found the first book to be very suspenseful and gripping. I felt like I was on the edge of my seat most of the time. Because the Machine Crusade is covering a longer period of time, I feel they're not going into as much detail. The events that occur that are, are important, but I feel as though they wrap them up more quickly, move on to something else. And I don't like what Abel Skinjo has become. I don't like what happens to... Um, Virgil. Yeah, Virgil. Yeah, that, me neither. I didn't like that either. Very sad. Um, well, let's talk about Endless Ginja a little bit. Uh, first book, he's not, he's kind of a likable character, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Up until the end, you kind of start to see it. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but yeah, you kind of like him. You're kind of rooting for him, you know, as he like starts the rebellion, you know, you're kind of going for it. And then he's, he's just a bastard. And yeah. all the way around it. <laughs> He winds up being somebody that could get elected for Congress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I like that they emphasize that he has a very he's a hip, telepathic hypnotic power. Yeah, to him, but, and they kind of hint at that, but don't really develop it too much. But it's hinted at. Yeah, and Zufasemba kind of she she recognizes that. it. Yeah, she recognizes yeah. that in of a male doing that. Um, <clears throat> So let's um, let's jump on to our next listener feedback. I assume this is our next listener feedback, the Erasmus yeah. Omnius. Yeah, that's the name that he goes by. That's the name that he goes by. Um, uh, let's let's read through this, and this is what he wrote in. Um, he said, "Finally, got some time to listen to the first podcast. Enjoyed it immensely. 
Though I do love everything Dune, I could not say how many times I read the first three of the original series. My son's middle name is Fade. Fade, thank you. I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. Fade, and I've and I and I and I've assigned children to Dune. And one of the tiny reasons I'm in a uh, mechanical and chemical engineering is for designing a few things, a still suit being one of them, minus the excrement storage. I agree with the uh, <laughs> statements the readers put aside comparing between uh, Mr. Frank's uh, Dune and Mr. Uh, Brian uh, Anderson's Dune. It's our life's history that affects our writing, and Mr. Frank had one heck of a life to help inspire his writing. That's why no one will, be, will ever be able to write as he did, and kudos to the two men willing to try. Therefore, just try to experience a new story as a new story. The power of nostalgia is that it elicits only the good memories of the past, and therefore the past must be better than the present. I do not, uh, I do not have my, I do have my own issues with the new series, but nothing that could ever sway my love for all of them as their own separate entities. Anyways, looking forward to all things Dune. Jim, anything that he says that kind of resonates with you there? Yeah, uh, again, you know, um, Mr. Frank's Dune and Mr. Brian slash Anderson's Dune are going to be different uh, because of life experiences and things like that. I mean, who writes like Hemingway? You know, nobody lives like him, so nobody's going to write like Hemingway does or did. You know, it's... Uh, it's apples and oranges. I I think that I agree with what he's saying there, and what we've said many times is how they're different. Uh, I think that's one of the beauties to reading these books in chronological order is that people such as uh, you know the two of you guys, or or, or even like Roland, who have, have it's been a long time, long enough to forget that nostalgia. That when you dive into these, you're able to look at them from a clear perspective, and I think it's to be interesting. As we get to the the original books, what everyone who's been reading along with us is going to think of them having had at that point they'll have six of the new books under their belt. I'm going to be a, I'm going to admit I'm a little bit concerned <laughs> <laughs> because I'm enjoying these books so much, and when I hit Frank Herbert's style, will that be a, a shock to my system? And I'm, am I going to say, well, these books aren't as good? I mean, will it, will it come out in the? I'm a little bit worried that I'll come out in the opposite side of it. Huh. But, well, I think what'll be really jarring is when we go from, uh, what is it, uh, Dune Messiah to Paul of Dune, which is a new book inserted in between. Right, because that's the way we're reading it. And yeah. then back to Children of Dune, yeah. how jarring that's going to be. Yeah. I'm not anticipating a problem yeah. at all. Well, I, I, I hope not. I'm just kind of a little bit leery <laughs> going into it. But. Yeah. Um, we have one more listener feedback. This is from Garrett Nichols, and he writes, Dune Guys. So we're the Dune guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm enjoying your podcast, and it gives me a chance to revisit the Brian Kevin books. I read most of them and had many signed during their book tours. But I think the main problem is that we had the original six books for quite a while, and the enthusiasts read them all multiple times, each time learning something new and coming away with a deeper understanding. And then along comes the new books. As if reading Frank Herbert was like diving into an ocean and wondering if you ever get to the bottom. Brian and Kevin were like a splash through an ankle-deep puddle. You do find out what happens in the story, but it doesn't seem to go much deeper than that. And while I've lost track of how many times I've reread the original books, I've never been interested in reading any of the new ones a second time. And I think that's telling. I hope your show will point out things that I may have missed, because I do want to like them at a deeper level to keep up the good work. 
Well, now that that is an interesting thought. So let me let me put it to you guys. Now you reread these books because you've had to for this podcast, right? right. If you would not have had to reread Butler and Jihad, Machine Crusade, would have you sometime in the future gone back and reread them again? That's hard to say. So I have to say part of wanting to start this podcast was for an excuse to reread them. To reread them. <laughs> but I feel like I may have needed I, – I needed that push. Because something in me thought I wasn't like as happy as I am now reading them when I read them the first time. And I was worried that I would start and lose my resolve because without someone to talk to him about and, and share my excitement, it would just kind of dwindle because I'd be like, well, I kind of been here before. I know what this is like. And I experienced that with reading the Harry Potter books for the first time, having never, never read them, but loved the movies and seen the movies many, many times. One of the book took me over a year to read just because I could never get the urge to pick it up. I mean, I knew what was going to happen. Right. So it wasn't different enough. Um, the other thing is I, I wanted to read some of the, the newer books that end the series and see how it all connects right. better than just relying on some old, old memory. Yeah. Well, so. nothing like putting a podcast together to make you do it. Yeah. <laughs> 4 30 a.m. <laughs> 4 30 a.m. Like of course. Of course, no wonder you're enjoying the book much better this time. You're doing it at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> um, Jim, how about for you? Is this a book that you could go back and reread and gain a deeper level of understanding for you? I probably could, um, but I don't think that I would because I've got a, a book reading bucket list I want to get through. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I, I'm looking at this book and I've, I've read, I'm a huge Tolkien fan, right? I just love Tolkien. I read Lord of the Rings probably 12 times, The Hobbit probably seven and The Cimmerillion five. I just, I just really love that universe. And every time I get something new and deep out of it and I've enjoyed these books and I have read them twice, most of them because I read them ahead of time and then read them again. And that's been an advantage to telling you guys and sharing the story and the plot points and all that. But it's not a book that I'm going and saying, oh, here's some startling revelation about humanity that I didn't get before mm-hmm. by reading it. I'm not picking that up. Um, and so for those people that go back to the original Dune series and read them again and again because there's a huge, rich depth to it, um, I'm not getting that. That being said, in the Machine Crusade, the second time through, it really hit me how this book really is a treatise on the power of religion and war. Mm. Um, and that did not hit me the same way that it hit me the second time through. The first time through didn't kind of stick to, stick out to me as much. Wait till you get to God Emperor, dude. I, the book sure. changed my life, and it's no. basically all that. <laughs> uh, now, now, does it count? Does it count uh, rereading if you listen to audiobooks? Well, sure. If you listen to an audiobook more than once, isn't that kind of like rereading it? Says Scott well, no, because I he mean, listened to an audiobook. I don't have time. Uh, me rereading through the books of Dune is oh, let me go out for about an hour run. Let me go my half an hour commute to and from work. I mean, that's where I do my reading. I mean, I have a six-year-old kid. I'm not sitting around and reading. I'm out by like 8.30 at night typically. (laughs) To me, that counts as reading, you know. What I'm saying is is I can completely and totally see myself this summer riding the lawnmower and listening to these books again. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I I mean, personally, I would count that as rereading. 
I would, I would too. I would too. But uh, my wife and I have gotten into the argument like, oh, you are really reading these books. I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm engaging in the story. I'm listening to the story. I mean, I'm interacting with it. I'm just doing it the, uh, the original way stories were told. I keep telling. The true and furious form of storytelling, but. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's go ahead and move into some of our closing thoughts. Jim, why don't you lead us through this? Okay. Um, we, uh, Last time we did some ratings for the books. I kind of about chickened out on that one. I copped out. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do this one, do that this time, but, uh, let's, let's find out how we rate this book. Scott, uh, how many stars do you give this? Well, I gave the last one four, I believe. And, um, man, I, I, I want to give it five. I want, I want to, I'm a little bit leery about doing that this earlier on. So I'm going to say, my rating is between four and a half stars and five. So I'm bouncing four, between four and a half. Four and a half. Let's do the four and a half is where I'm going to set in at. Um, because it was definitely, I enjoyed this book much better and I enjoy, I really enjoyed Butler and Jihad, but I really enjoyed this one. So I don't know. Maybe the third book I'm going to really enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> 4.75. <laughs> 4.75. <laughs> um, so that's, that's my rating on that, Jim. Okay, and then uh, David. Uh, I have to say, I last one I believe I gave a three because our overall rating was two thumbs up and three and a half stars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to give this one a, a solid four because not just any four, a solid, a solid four, solid four. Solid four. This is, that this, says something from a guy that finished a book at four in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. My thing about this book, I did not, I, I like Jim, I didn't want to put it down. I mean, the, the problem was picking it up again because I knew that I was going to invest hours every time I, I picked it up. And I, I found myself angry with myself. Like, I've been reading for that long and I've only gotten this far. Like, I, I, I wish I read faster so I was getting more of this story in the amount of time that I have to read it. So that's kind of why I'm going to give it a solid four. I know what my number f- five out of five book is. And I don't, this isn't five out of five, but it's definitely a four. <laughs> you know, and that says something about a book when you just can't put it down. Yeah. And like for me, there were points when I originally read the book, like I just can't wait to get back in my car and listen to this book. I can't wait to go on my run because I want to hear what happens next. And that, and that's, that tells you that this book, there's something in this book that's connecting. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, how about you? What's your rating this time? We aren't going to let you cop out of it. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to, I, I tell you what, I really, really like this book, but I'm not going to give it a five because I want to leave some headroom for the future because I don't know what's coming up. Uh, I, I'm going to go along with David and I'm going to give it a solid four. Solid four. Solid four. There yeah. we go. So yeah. two solid fours and a four point five. So that makes it like what, like a four point two five, two well, five or well, one if you five. Average, it's probably a little bit less because you yeah. guys are at the four, and I'm the only one up there at four point five. Four point one four. And 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 I got to throw in also with with uh, David on what he said. You read for two hours, and you know on the Kindle it tells you what percentage of the book you've read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It tells you. It tells you what percentage of the book you, so you read two or three hours and you've only read about another 8% of the book and it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how long they are. I know they're, I know they're a long yeah. listen. Yeah. Yeah. My, yes. my friends were like, oh, why and, is it uh, taking you so long? And I was like, it's very cerebral. Like I can't get past that. Well, not only that, but they, they're long books to begin with. I mean, they aren't as long as Robert Jordan, but they're long books. Mm, yeah. You know? 
What are we looking at for uh, what's coming up next in the next book? What do you guys see in the future? The next book is The Battle of Corn, right? That yeah. comes in at the third. So that's yeah. our third book. And so what are we looking forward to? I think I think what I'm looking forward to here is I'm looking to see what haps, happens with Vorian Treides. Yeah. Um, and, and his sons, his twin sons, and seeing how that uh, develops. I'm looking to see what happens with Surratt. I've always loved the Vorian Atreides Surratt storyline. And so I'm interested to see what happens with that in the next one. Um, so that's one thing I'm looking forward to. And I think I'll just hold it at that. Uh, I, I, I have to say my, I've read it before, so I kind of know where things are going, but at the same time, I've forgotten. And I am kind of curious as to, how the Atreides and Harkonnen bloodlines are going to continue because Xavier had all girls. So who's really carrying the name? Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, I know that the, I know that the, um, Virgil. What about Virgil's uh, children? Is he a, but he wasn't, he was a tan, Tantor or tenure. He wasn't a, cause Xavier was adopted. That's right. Uh, so I, I'm kind of curious as to how that works. And then, I mean, uh, Vorian had sons, but they don't know they're his sons. So I guess they could just change their name and not realize they're actually genetic or I, I don't know. Um, the other thing is I'm curious about their, the feud. A lot of people were saying in some comments I saw on Facebook, uh, uh, especially with your, your son, Jim, he was saying, well, now you see how the, the feud starts between Xavier and Harkonnen. And I, I mean, I know the feud's there, but I can't remember what sparks it. And at this point, well, there's, I don't, no, there's no feud, right? Yeah, now. there's no feud. Like, I don't quite get no. what's going to start it. Like, I could have seen it at the end of Butler and Jihad, you're saying, oh, here's where it starts. But in this book, it's gone. They're like best friends. Yeah. Best buds. Yeah. Well, if I recall what Benjamin said without looking it up, it was, it wasn't the feud between them, but, but now do you see why the Harkonnen line became hated? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could see that. Okay. Yeah. So I'm seeing in the future, I'm seeing a misunderstanding here that, you know, uh, Xavier killed the hero Iblis and nobody knew that he was actually the villain Iblis. Right. And everyone likes Vorian for being a hero. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, how do they know that he killed? Unless, uh, Vorian tells. That's the, I, that's the other thing I don't get either. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, they're stuck in the ship flying in the sun. No one's getting off that well, ship. The communication. But someone did. They yeah. did. Yeah, but, but they, they took the message to Vorian. Yeah. So, right. unless Vorian spills the beans, we don't, uh, I mean, which he might, but, uh, unless he paints his friend in the negative light. Yeah. I mean, which you don't really see him doing at this point. Huge difference between Vorian and Iblis here. Had Iblis been the one receiving the information and knowing it was a secret, that guy would have been dead right there. Okay. The guy who delivered it, he would have just killed him yeah. to keep the secret mm-hmm. safe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think it may be coming about as a bit of a, un- a misunderstanding. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. are you looking forward to, Jim? Me? Uh, oh, a continuation of, uh, how the Fremen came to be. Uh, I'm really interested in watching how the Bene Gesserit grew and also space folding. I want to know what's going to happen to, uh, Norma that's going, going to teach her how to do that. Um, and, and as you guys, uh, had mentioned, I am really interested to see how, how the Harkonnens in a, a, and Atreides went 
opposite directions and how that, that whole thing got started. Uh, the rise of Saddam, Saddam's, uh, line also. Uh, I might be a little early for that, but, but that's something I'm looking forward to down the road. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I have no clue what you just said. Look at the house of Carino. <laughs> Shaddam, yeah, yeah. the emperor. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, uh, Jim, why don't you, uh, uh, that's pretty well it, right? Anything else we need to say about yeah. that? I think so. So, uh, Jim, why don't you uh, wrap it up and tell people how they can get a hold of us and let and uh, tune in to us. All right. Well, we would really enjoy having your emails on your thoughts on uh, this book or of uh, the future book that we're reading, Battle of Corin. You can send your comments to dunesagapodcast at gmail.com, all one word, dunesagapodcast, or call our voicemail line at 1-888-508-4343. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast to join in on the conversation there. And uh, remember to visit our main hub at dunesagapodcast.com. That is our webpage. Uh, to find links on all of these things, as well as uh, view our calendar uh, for what is going to be coming up in the future, um, just check out our uh, our webpage again. Um, as of now, we'll set the date here for that after we're done recording, and and right, the date okay. will be up on our calendar, right on the right hand side of the website. It looks like probably somewhere near the end of January. Yeah. So, so. And one more thing, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Dune Saga Podcast. Yeah, right. definitely, because we do tweet. Okay. Yeah. Tweeting away, but so once again for the Dune Saga podcast, I'm David Moulton, and I am Scott Hartzog, and I'm Jim Arrowwood, and may Shai Hulud clear the path before you.